0: Welcome to Another Bite, where we rewatch the most innovative and intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory, and I'm joined by Ariel. Howdy howdy, friendos. And John. Hey, everybody. Today in the tank, we've got a product that will help you chop it like it's hot and ensure your kitchen knives are always a cut above the rest. Slice, slice, baby. All right, I'll cut it out. Now, <laughs> now that we've got you on the edge of your seats, here's a quick ad, you know, to steal the deal. <laughs> and give your entire go-to-market team the data they need to operate as one unified powerful front. Also, you can easily support, strengthen, and grow your customer base. Secrets out. HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit hubspot.com/service to do more for your customers today. Today in the tank, we have Knife Aid. And Knife Aid is brought to us by Michael and Mark. And Michael and Mark are asking for $400,000 for 15% in their business, which is a $2.7 million valuation. And their product is Knife Aid, which you know, it took me way too long because I was like, is it like band-aid? Is it like first aid? It's both for your knives. It is a knife sharpening I service. I thought
1: it was like a music festival, like farm aid, but for like people who carry knives, you know, like for fighting or whatever. <laughs> yeah.
0: But no, knife aid is a knife sharpening service by mail. So how this works is you order your box online and you receive a prepaid box where you package up all your knives. And then you send them back through the US Postal Service and they will sharpen your knives for you, mailing them back to you within a week. So, stole knives are never going to be a problem again. So, thinking about our founders and our product and our pitch, what are our initial thoughts about Knife Aid?
1: This is an idea that you immediately are like, oh, this is a really good idea. No. <laughs> like, this is one of those, like, what? how did I not think of this idea? Like, <laughs> I should have started this damn company. Sharp <laughs> knives matter. Everybody's knives are dull. Yeah. This is like a super easy problem to solve. I love it. I think it's such a great idea
0: why I like this product is it's a common problem and you have like the potential for enthusiasts.
1: Yeah. Also, I think one of the things that they're doing, which I think is really good is they are trying to solve this problem in a different way, but that mm. is connected to a way that it's already been solved. This problem has been solved for commercial kitchens. Commercial kitchens often don't sharpen their own knives. They rely on third-party knife sharpening services. That infrastructure already exists. It's not like they have to go out and like build a knife sharpening factory. They actually can just tap into mm. existing infrastructure. So that is easy for them. They're also trying to do it in a a different pricing model which i think is really smart i look at the way that knife sharpening works today and what are the things that would make it hard for a consumer to want to get their knife sharpened it's kind of like i have no idea what it costs and you're going to charge me based on like the length of my knife and stuff so i like that they have a different pricing model I also like that they're going D to C.
2: Ariel, it's very smart. They're not reinventing the wheel. I love the fact that the packaging is so easy and that the pricing model is great for non-knife enthusiasts like me. I'm just like, I have a bunch of random different shapes of knives. I don't know what a butcher one is. I don't know what the difference is. Yeah, so it's nice that you could just ship it all in for one. I think my biggest hesitancy with this is what is the main value prop? Why would I want to put in my knives to get professionally sharpened when I can just buy a stone myself and I can do it in like an hour versus waiting an entire week.
1: Ariel, you recently on a recent podcast yes. revealed that you were willing to eat dehydrated meatballs <laughs> in exchange for time saving so you could have a 90 second meal prep. And you're saying you're going to learn how to sharpen <laughs> knives and spend an hour just like sharpening your knives. Yes.
0: Yeah. Something tells me you're not the persona well, for this. Just <laughs> throwing it out there. Have you ever used a
1: whetstone? You got to spit on it. You spit on your yeah. whetstone. You shing, shing,
0: and you can shing, shing. do it really wrong. You can break your <laughs> knives. And if you've invested in you can, knives, this is the problem, not just like, yeah, whatever on sale at Bed Bath and Beyond, you know, rib. Yeah. it's a really
2: expensive mistake to make, right? Which Mister Wonderful kind of gets into when he talks about his, <laughs> his Japanese $4, handcrafted. Knife. Yeah. <laughs> yes, maybe I'm not the audience for this because all the knives I get come with like a pre-sharpener Convenient. that I
1: just sharpen with. It's true. I do not think everybody in the world is going to say I'm going to start mailing my knives in, but I think there are enough people that have bought knives that want to keep them sharp and kind of don't want to deal with it themselves, either for fear that they're going to mess it up yeah. or just because like they don't have the time. And the idea that you can just outsource and get incredibly sharp knives back is very appealing.
2: What do we think about the model? Because mm. I like the idea per package, but I wonder if there was an opportunity for more of like a subscription-based service. So to sharpen a single blade, it was $10, which is, I think, really fair in terms of
0: like getting it professionally sharpened. But what was interesting is, Yes, there was a minimum order of four knives per package, but I was actually really curious about like the long-term cost of all-in-one pricing and was curious about your take on that. Mm-hmm.
1: I thought the pricing was brilliant. There's a lot of different ways to price things. You know, you can price things right down the middle and you can just accept the fact that you're going to lose money on some and you're going to make money on others in the name of simplicity. You can go with an add-on model. But I think that like, generally speaking, if you're trying to get early traction in a market, the more you can simplify your pricing and make it really clear Mm -hmm. to customers what it costs. If that pricing is in the realm of like, sounds fair... Which I think like 10 bucks a knife, like sounds fair, right? Like I don't think like the average consumer would be like, no That's so expensive, yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so like, I think they're like right in that sweet spot of people would be like, yeah, sounds about right and simple, easy. I don't know, I like it.
2: Is there any risk though of conditioning our buyers? Because at some point, let's say you gain a ton of traction at the $10 price point. Times are tough. The economy changes. If you need to change that price, like, do you run any risk of offering such a low barrier of entry to folks that it may actually have adverse reactions to your customer base? Or is that something that most businesses worry about a little bit later on down the road as they evolve?
1: Yeah, it is a really good question, Ariel. Changing prices is hard. I've seen data that shows like consumers are kind of willing to absorb, you know, up to like a 5% price change. You see that happening a lot right now. Like everything's kind of going up Mm -hmm. a buck or two, like, you know, your Netflix subscription goes up a buck or two. Everything's kind of like eking up a little bit and consumers generally will take a small price increase, but it is hard and it does carry risk and you do get negative PR impact from raising prices. You know, I think the question is, did they price it in a way that they're not going to have to do that for a while? Like the thing that we don't have data on from them is what the actual unit cost. Is of actually sharpening a knife could be two dollars, right? And so they could have a lot of runway there. I also would imagine before they raised prices, they would consider doing other things. Like you brought this idea up, about like subscriptions and other things like that, that would actually get them different revenue with different margins in a different way <laughs> as opposed to just purely raising prices. So there's a lot of like price engineering you can do,
2: like that. A lot of different levers to pull.
1: You can sharpen the pencil on your pricing model,
2: it will
0: slice your prices. <laughs> They're having an issue though, right? So we've got two founders from Sweden. They're taking this idea from Sweden and they're having issues breaking into the U.S. market. We talk a lot about oftentimes breaking into international markets from like U.S.-based companies. If you were in your founder's shoes and you suddenly had to market this, how would you break into the U.S. market?
1: I don't see anything about this brand or this model that would make it hard for them to launch in the U.S. Mm -hmm. The best way to think about a go-to-market, very simple. Do you have product market fit? Have you priced it the right way? Do you have the right positioning and messaging for the product? Mm -hmm. And are you selling it in the right way? And I think anytime you go into a new market, the thing you want to be sure of is that all that stuff aligns. Mm -hmm. When I look across those four Mm -hmm. dimensions for this company, for Knife Aid, I don't see anything that tells me they won't be immediately successful in the U.S., I don't know. Sounds pretty clear. Knife Aid fade like makes sense to me. I thought their packaging was really nice. And then the sales model, it seems like they're doing Facebook ads and direct to consumer and starting into partnerships with companies like William Sonoma. And I'm like, seems like they've got the fit. This could definitely be a case where they're like, you know what, we think we could make it in the US market. It's going to be a slog. Would rather just have somebody who has all these companies on speed dial.
0: Yeah, and it was funny because Lori did just that. She like pulled up her cell phone and was like, "You want these contacts? I got them on speed dial."
1: It was a bloodbath. I love when the there's blood. Biggest, in the
0: water. biggest feeding frenzy. The fact that they went behind the stage, we got all these different like. <laughs> combinations of sharks like Rohan and Lori and then Kevin and Barbara and Mark was just like watching it and all laughing. Mark is watching it Yeah, unfold. just like here for the show. Yeah. And the founders actually were like, we've got all these offers. We're going to go and deliberate about it. And Lori stood up and chased after them and was like, what you need? Like, what can we do to sweeten the deal? <laughs> and before Kevin could even say anything, they were like, would you do 500K for 20%? And Rohan ran up to them, shook their hand and was like, deal. So like... We also got a shark snipe because all of these sharks were like running up to these founders, just overwhelming them. And ultimately, as soon as Rohan shook their hands, the deal was sealed. So we got a very competitive shark tank deal. They got exactly what they countered with in this case.
1: Yeah. It is always interesting to watch the sharks pitch themselves Exactly. Like, well, I'm in the most households in America and like, and I have the most contacts. The truth is, yes, the sharks, I think, have different expertise in different industries, but largely I think they all have contacts and are in lots of households and yada, yada.
2: They all have mutual circles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Since airing in the
0: tank, Mm -hmm. currently KnifeAid is making about $250,000 per month in sales. So very much still a company. Hmm. And we actually have some insight into the syndication of episodes and the company's bump. So every time... Knife Aid's episode airs. Knife Aid actually gets a roughly five to ten X boost in sales. So wow. kind of clout. Look at that correlation. It's oh. <laughs> not causation, but there is some correlation there. hmm Yes. <laughs> I've
1: never thought about the rerun market for Shark Tank and the idea that the sharks must lobby the producers yeah. and the network so hard to re air.
0: Especially if you get boosts
2: like episodes that,
1: that they have made investments yeah. on yeah. and one deals. It makes on. money. Wow, mm-hmm. I never thought about that. That's so interesting.
2: Yeah, there must be a whole strategy yeah. behind it. Yeah. It's just like, just air these episodes.
0: And the audience is like, oh, that's my favorite one. And they're like, is it just repetition? Buy these products. Yeah. <laughs> Today's episode was written and produced by the mythical Matthew Brown. Additional support comes from Melanie Romero and editing from Robert Hartwig. If you're a fan of the show, meh. Even if you're not a fan of the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to support the show. That does it for me. We'll see you next episode here in the tank for another bite. Create Like the Greats, hosted by Ross Simmons, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Each episode hosts an in-depth analysis of some of the greatest creations and creators of all time along with deep dive conversations on the creative process that went into building companies and brands. If you like learning about history or learning about the creative process, you'll like this podcast. Listen to Create Like the Greats wherever you get your podcasts.